If you have your Bibles, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And again, I hope that you will stay after the service. As Michael mentioned, we're going to be having breakfast. It, I don't know if you guys can smell it, but sitting by this door, it, it's heavenly. Uh, I was distracted, and I'm the one who's speaking, so that's not good. But we are going to be having breakfast again. The money that is collected today uh, is going towards our trip to Haiti in February. And ask that you would also provide the change that is there, buy the bracelets, all these things. And we mentioned before how we are looking and posturing ourselves to do work, a continual work in Haiti. And this is my first trip. Denise has been out there before, but this is my first trip going out there. And we are going to kind of look and see other ways that we can be involved. I share this with you because I hope that you will entertain the thought of possibly going as well and us taking a group to continue doing work there in Haiti. If that is the case, you need to make sure you have a passport. You also will have to get shots. I know that's not an encouraging thing, but I'm letting you know because I got mine and I just wanted to share my pain with all of you. The typhoid or the polio, I don't know which one it was, but man, that was, it felt like someone punched me in my arm. And I walked around like a baby all day. Uh, ask my wife. She's a witness. Anyway, I, we share these things so that you'll also stick around and just enjoy each other's company after we're done this morning. Well, we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're actually going to finish chapter 10 starting at verse 14. So if you'll join with me, we'll read 14 to the end of the chapter here. It says, Therefore, my dear friends... Flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Doesn't that make you feel good? Uh, judge for yourself what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifice participate in the altar? Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to participate, to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising question of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, the other man's conscience, I mean not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thanksgiving, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And in verse 1 it says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now I want to stop and kind of step back just a moment as we've been going through the book of Corinthians. We've hit some pretty heavy things. Paul has been talking to the church about a lot of areas that they are at fault in. He's confronted them in areas of their division, in areas of their sexual sin, in areas of their problems with idols and idolatry. We talked last week and he, he brought kind of this tension as he ended chapter 9 with we need to run this race so that we are not disqualified. And this whole idea of being disqualified, what does that mean? And he talked about the children of Israel and how they were and very much like us in that they were a people who had privilege with God. And even though they had gone through a similar baptism going through the Jordan River and had had that spiritual food of the bread from heaven and the spiritual drink of the rock, that, the water that provided from the rock, very much like we enjoy the blessings, the sacraments of God, that their bodies were strewn throughout the desert because of idolatry, because of sexual sin, because of their testing God, lack of faith, and because of their grumbling and complaining. And so he's laid out some heavy things, but, you know, I, I want to stop and I want to ask, why is God saying these things? Why is Paul telling the Corinthian church all this information? Why is he coming to them? Is he, is he trying to get them to just follow the rules, get in line, guys, get straightened up? Or is he trying to bring them to this deeper sense and understanding of their relationship with God? You see, throughout the New Testament, we, we see this idea of freedom being enjoyed, being expressed, being lived out. As the disciples move through the book of Acts and carry out the works of Christ and stand before the Pharisees and declare their faith in God and they are commanded not to talk in his name anymore, they say, we can't help but talk. Is it better to listen to men or to God? And even though they're beaten and put in prison, we see that there are times where they're singing and thanking God that they're considered worthy to suffer. We see Paul in chains before Agrippa saying, I wish all men could be like me except for these chains, that he still has this joy, that he still has this resonance of freedom of Christ even though he's in bonds. And Jesus himself said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. There's this freedom that is just producing a life that is in harmony with God and that is expressing and glorifying God. The freedom to represent God and that our lives now honor him with everything that we do. And that it's a powerful and transforming work. And if we're truthful, we see it in Scripture, but so many times it's not something that we see in our own lives. Oh, we know I'm supposed to be free. Yeah, I'm free in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but what does that look like? What is it producing and how is it making a difference within us and with those around us? And you see what Paul is doing and what I believe God wants to do with us 
is not just give us more information about what we need to do or what we shouldn't do, but he's trying to allow us the vision that in our freedom of Christ, we can honor God. We can glorify God. We can please God. That God can look at us and be happy with us. Now, that, that's a trippy thing. That God's happy that I can bring joy to God. Do you feel like your life is bringing joy to God? And if not, why not? And what do you and I need to do to move to a place where our lives make God smile? Where God looks at us and says, yeah, look at my child. And those of you who are parents and have kids, you know when your kids do something that makes you smile. You know the other things they do too. <laughs> but when they bring that joy to your heart and it just warms you, and that's what God is desiring. That's what Paul is trying to take the Corinthians to this place. And he starts off in verse 14. He says, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. He talked about idolatry in the last portion that we spoke about. And we talked about this having trust in anything other than God. And he goes on and he says, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation of the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all partake in the one loaf. There is something that is uniting that we are to recognize here, that we have been set apart, sanctified for God, that we are participants with God. And this communion table, that bread and that wine are symbolic of what God has done to bring us to this place where we are now one with him. And what Paul is trying to do here is to show that there is something significant that is taking place. That this is more than just bread and more than just juice, that this actually is symbolic for what God has done for us. It's sacred. It's symbolic. It symbolizes the love of God and the reconciliation to God. And so even though we look at it and say, yeah, there's the bread and, and there's the juice. Yeah, I, I know about communion. There's something more that is taking place. There is something significant and spiritual that is to be happening within our hearts. This represents more than just the bread, more than just the juice. It represents Jesus. And not only does it represent Jesus, it connects us to him. And for 2,000 years now, people have been remembering what Jesus has done for them and have not only been remembering it, but identifying with him. You see, because we eat of this, it is now something that we are a part of. It nourishes our body. It quenches our thirst. It gives sustenance to our beings. And the death of Christ has brought us into the family of God where now it is 
one loaf, he says. We are one body. We belong together. And more importantly, we belong to God. And I don't know that we really recognize that. We cognitively think about it. But the idea of you belonging to God and being a part of the work of God and us collectively being a part of this work should inspire us. It should provoke us. It should challenge us. It should change us. And help us so that we recognize my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price, with the, the precious blood of Jesus. Now I need to glorify God in my mortal body, which is His. How do I know it is His? I'm remembering what He's done. I'm partaking of what He's done. You see, we remember, but the bread and, and the, the cup, they're tangible. There's something you can take hold of. It's something you can taste. It's something that becomes a part of you. And God is saying, do not forget, I am very real. This is not just aesthetics. This is not just mental gymnastics. This is reality. Do not forget it. And Paul is bringing them back to this understanding. Remember the earlier part of the chapter, he gave the illustration of the children of Israel having similar sacraments to what we have. And their bodies were strewn throughout the desert because they didn't believe, they grumbled, complained, they were involved with idolatry and the lot. And he's wanting us to recognize our privilege. And in verse 18, he, he gives a contrast. He says, consider the people of Israel, which he talked about earlier. Do not those who eat the sacrifice participate in the altar? Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are you trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than him? And now the contrast to this communion with God is that there is another communion that can take place as well, and that is with the world, with the pagans. The sacrifices that they were doing in the altar to their gods. Paul had already said, the sacrifice is nothing. That's just me. But there's something behind that sacrifice, the symbolism that is important, just like there is something behind the table that we participate in. You see, if you go and you did a diagnostic however you would do that, on the bread and the, and the juice, it would still be bread and juice, even after you prayed it and blessed it. It doesn't change and become something else. That's what it is. But it is a whole lot more than that spiritually. It is a whole lot more significance than just bread and cup. And the same thing is true with this pagan idolatry and their sacrifices. There's something more going on than just that meat that is being offered. There is a spiritual implication where they are worshiping demons. And you can't worship God, participate in this table, and then go and participate at the table of demons. And the Corinthians had no problem going to the temple, having dinner. Oh, this was offered to a demon. Oh, cool, that's fine. Whatever, I, I don't believe in that stuff. But you see, there are people worshiping these things, and he's saying this is a bad thing. But like Corinth, we live in a multicultural environment. 
not exactly like Corinth, but very similar. We have people from all kinds of cultures that are developing their own beliefs. Oh yeah, I like this part of Christianity, but I also like this part of Buddhism, and I also like this part of Hinduism, and and I'm a little Wiccan in there, you know, I'm going to throw it in, and we all like the word spiritual because it sounds sexy, you know, it's spiritual, you know, and it makes you feel better than, it kind of gives you this air of above. And Paul is saying, you see, God is very jealous. He's not going to share your worship. You you can't come to this table and see what Jesus has done, how he's made you one, and then go into this temple and participate in their worship and think it's no big deal. God is jealous. He wants your life to bring glory. He wants your life for himself. Because... He's given his life for you. And that's what he expects in return. And so he's trying to bring the clarity of, you guys, you belong to God. Do you see what the bread, what the wine represents? If you worship here, don't think it's no big deal if you go into a place where they're worshiping demons. It is. And God cares about that. You know, the idea of worshiping demons, you know, for us, it's not like, you know, the Friday the 13th movies, Exorcist, you know, or it's, you know, those kinds of things happen all the time. And you think, okay, you know, stop levitating me off the floor. You know, I I see you're, I don't want to serve you anymore. You know, those, those aren't the things that we usually deal with. They're more the subtle things. It's more of the heart issues, more of, like what Jesus said, you can't serve God and money, mammon. You know, our, our hearts are given over to greed, given over to lust. Those become our, our idols. Those become the things that we are passionate for instead of for God. Those are the things that we look to to bring solace to our soul's comfort. I, I need that person in my life. I need that job in my life. I need those drugs in my life. I need that. Whatever it is, instead of God, that is our idolatry. Those are the things that we are at war against and understand that God is still jealous for you. He doesn't want you giving yourself over to anything other than him. And so he challenges us in this way that we would not give compromise to anything else. And when he says, are we stronger than he, do we know better than the Lord? Now we all say no, But how many times do we challenge what God has said because we don't think it's right? Well, I know God says that, you know, we shouldn't do this. You know, we we shouldn't have sex before we get married. But, you know, we love each other. Do I know better than God? Am, Am I stronger than him? I know that I shouldn't be involved with this, that it's dishonest. But, you know... I, I think it's going to be okay. I'm not really hurting anybody. Do we know better than God? Do we justify ourselves because it's beneficial to ourselves? And you see, that's really the, the bottom line to the idolatry. It's about me. I think in, in our culture, in the United States, Western culture especially, even in Christianity, there is such a focus on self. This prosperity, God wants everyone to be wealthy. 
God wants you to be happy. Well, I'm pretty sure God wants you to be holy. Because you could be happy and be a scoundrel. I know some people who seem pretty happy, and they're pretty wicked people. But they're happy for a time. And you see, our self-focus is now causing a problem. It is saying, God, I know better than you. And so Paul is challenging the Corinthians, saying, you can't be worshiping God and then going into these places of worship and not think it's a big deal without understanding that something more significant is taking place. God's jealous for you. You don't know better than him. You're not stronger than him. You need to take heed to the things that he said. They're for your benefit. We can't pick and choose what we want and what we recognize. We have to understand these things. I remember one time my son was going, he had this girl that he liked. He, you know, he, we didn't call her a girlfriend, although he probably did, you know, because you're too young to have a girlfriend. Anyway, you know, he, I was 28 years old. Anyway, no, uh, <laughs> you moms. Uh, anyway, he, he, this neighbor girl that he liked, and, and we took her to church with us, you know, and it was a communion service. I don't know when or why, but we went to this communion service and, and they passed out the little cups, you know, and the little crackers and everyone's, and as soon as she got hers, she got it and she just downed it like it was a shot glass, you know, <laughs> and the expression on my son's face, he was like, what have you done, you know, that's, that's not how we do it, you know, and, and, and it was so, it was, I wish I had a camera because it was just one of those things where you just see... She had no clue what the procedure was, and so she got the glass, she took the shot, you know. Anyway, you know, huh, so that's what you do with those. Anyway, she, my son realized, you really don't know what this is about, do you? You don't have an understanding of, of what this means. And I think many times we lose that understanding of what this means. This table where we eat the bread and we drink the cup. We, we've lost the significance of it. It's a memory, but it's not something that connects us to God in a very tangible way. And we need to recognize that it is to do just that, that we recognize what it represents and that we're not going to give ourselves to this, to God, wholeheartedly, and then also give ourselves to whatever else. That he's jealous. And once we start hearing these things about God being jealous for us, God not wanting us to partake of these things, automatically our minds go into this religious regiment. Can do this, can't do that. This is allowed, this is not allowed, and we want to draw the lines out and we want to chart it out what you can and can't do and remember, the church was never defined by this. The whole idea of freedom is very important. And, and so Paul goes on in verse 23, and he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. You're free to do what you want, but not everything is going to be beneficial or build things up. 
And he tells us in verse 24, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. So right after he tells us you can do everything you want or anything you want, he says, but here's this little constraint. Don't do something that's not good for others. And again, we say, I thought we could do everything we want. And that comes to our culture. It's about me. But once you recognize, no, you are a part of a bigger picture. You are connected to more people than you realize that you have influence on everyone who is a part of your life, either for the good or for the bad. And though you can do what you want, you are responsible for what you do. And to recognize this responsibility doesn't take away from the freedom. It gives the freedom clarity and it gives it health. It makes it good. It makes it pure. It makes it holy. The religion would want to organize it and place it into certain categories. But Jesus says, you can do what you want, but don't do anything that's going to hurt someone else. I remember when I used to do fire sprinklers, I, I took some plans in to this one city. I don't want to say the city's name, but it sounds just like Corona. Um, <laughs> and I went into the, the building department and I had to submit these plans for approval. And I walk into this counter and there's this desk here and it kind of veers over to the, and I say hi to the lady. Hi, my name is Sam. I'm from Ken's Paulus. I'm here to submit some fire sprinkler drawings for this property. She goes, okay, well, before you can go to the planning department, you need to go to the building department and submit those and fill out the paperwork. And I say, okay, great. Where do I need to go? She goes, well, that's right over here. It's right here in the corner. I go, okay, right there. Is there anyone there? And she goes, yes, there'll be someone there right now. And I, I walk over here, and I'm not kidding you. The lady walks around <laughs> and looks at me, and I was just dumbfounded, you know. <laughs> and so because I had not learned tact yet, um, I introduced myself to her again. I said, hi, my name is Sam. <laughs> I'm from Kansas Paulus. I, I was told to come here for my building department. She did not find it funny. And so I had this thing, and I had to fill out this paperwork, and I said, okay, what do I have to do now? And I'm not kidding you. She says, you need to go to the planning department. And I said, okay, I'll make it over there. And I turn over, and she walks back over here. The forms are right in the middle. All she had to do was stay there. And so I said, hi. Do you have a sister who works in the building department? Again, she did not find it funny at all. <laughs> and you see, our religious endeavors just make a lot of work and don't make a lot of sense. And so many times we, we want to follow the rules and we don't realize that it's not the rules that we're really concerned about, it's the goal. And the goal here is your relationship with God. And the rules will never get you to your relationship with God. There is no way that you can take a number of rules and it be good enough for you to get to God. That's why Jesus died. Because you and I cannot get there. 
without his help. And so there's this dependency on God that is supposed to be relational and is supposed to be freeing. Freeing from the rules, freeing from the bureaucracy, freeing from the oppression, the control that hinders us from getting to God instead of helping us to get to God. Verse 25, Paul says, Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything is in it. You see, when they would sacrifice in this temple and then they would you know, take it to the market and then they'd say, here, this food was sacrificed to this God and then they'd bring it to the table and they'd say, here, here's some food that we bought from the market that was sacrificed to this God. Well, before it was actually sacrificed to that pagan ritual, it belonged to God. So by the time they got the meat at their table, it had been around the block. You know, it, it had gone through the ways and here it is, now it's a steak medium rare. But before all those things... It belonged to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it. You see, once again, there is this understanding. God owns everything. It belongs to him. You belong to him. He has created your life and everything to enjoy. Everything. Doesn't that make you happy come Thanksgiving time? Christmas dinner, Super Bowl Sunday, whenever you're going to have to eat to be able to say, I can enjoy food because it belongs to the Lord. He's created us with the ability to add the right spices. And they do it so easy on those cooking shows. It's all there already. And look, I have one in the oven. And here it is. And God has given us all these things to enjoy our, our physical and intimacy and relationship. God's the one who created sex for us to enjoy in the confounds of marriage. The world before it polluted it with pornography and all these other things. God says, I designed it. I said it was good. The earth is the Lord's. I've created these things. It's good. God is the author of everything that is good. And Paul is bringing them to that understanding that before the idolatry took place, it belonged to God. They perverted it, but it belonged to God. Now you can eat this food and enjoy it because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You can live this life in the boundaries that God has set and enjoy it. He goes on and he tells them in verse 27, if some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put there before you without raising questions of conscience. In other words, you can eat it. You don't have to say, was this sac I thought I saw this pig over there at the place here. You know, is, is this the same stuff that was offered to that God over there? You don't ask him. Should he so? You know, it's there. <laughs> you don't need to know it as anything else. And say, don't ask. You don't have to worry about it. Don't raise questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, hey, this was offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it both for conscience sake. Not your conscience, but the other man's conscience. In other words, if they say, hey, you know this chadiso? Yeah, we offered it to the God down the street. Then you, then you need to stop and say, oh, I can't eat it. Why not? Well, I, I worship this God. Now, you're not saying it for your conscience sake. You're not saying it because you don't think it's anything other than chadiso or whatever it is. 
You're saying it because you don't want this person to think it's okay to worship that God when you worship this God. And this is an opportunity where you get to make a stand for what you believe in. And this happens in our life all the time. It happens in the business world when it comes to places of cheating. Hey, if we do this, it's a little shady, but we can get this much more profit. And you say, oh, I can't do that. No, I, I follow Christ, and that just goes against my conscience. You see, you're making a statement. Hey, man, we're going to go to a party. We're going to get drunk. We're going to get blitzed. I can't do that. No, I don't do that. I'm, I'm a follower of Christ, and I don't want to go there to that place we have opportunity to make a stand in our lives, just like they did in the temple. And that's what Paul is bringing about there. It's not for your sake, it's for theirs. Verse 29, the other man's conscience, I mean not yours, for why should my freedom be judged by another man's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thanksgiving, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? Now this is Paul saying basically that... What are you judging me for? Who are you to judge me? Now, we usually say it, but it's in the wrong way. We usually say it when we do something wrong. We say, why do you judge me? But Paul's actually doing it in the right way because he's doing something right. And they're saying, why are you judging me for doing something that I believe is right? And see, the whole point of what he's doing here is to bring them to this place of understanding, I worship the true God. I am not going to be a part of a worship of a false God. And I want you to see that. Because I could eat that meat. I know that it's just meat, but I know that there's something more significant that that represents to you or maybe to someone else there. And the same thing is true with us in our lives. Our lives have influence. We represent something to someone. And we have to represent that clearly. We're free. We can do what we want, but we want to do what's right. We want to do what's going to bring honor to God. And Paul's saying, do you see that if you just go ahead and blindly eat whatever it is, knowing that it's a part of this idolatrous worship, that they're going to label you and put you there? Do you see that the same thing is true with us? If we go to certain things, do certain things that they can label us? So we have to... Be wise. We have to live in relationship. And that's what we talked about, that knowledge isn't what we need to live in community. Love is. Love gives us discernment to know who and how we behave. Depends on the people you're hanging around with. Depends on what's going on. You live to help those people out, to benefit those people in the life that they're living. And Paul is trying to develop this understanding with them that the religious rules can steal life, but the relationship with Jesus is actually going to give life. He goes on in verse 30. If I take part in the meal with thanks, thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of something I thank God for. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Whatever you do, it can bring glory to God. Even eating. Even working. 
even recreation, even conversation. Your life can bring glory to God in anything you do. You see, we've got it in our minds, or maybe it's just me, but I think a lot of us get in our minds, if you bring glory to God, you have to do that on Sundays at church. You have to go to Haiti, to Mexico at least. You have to be praying. You have to have a Bible. The bigger the Bible, the better. That way you're not ashamed of the gospel. So everywhere you go, you've got a Bible. People look at you, oh, man, that's... yes, I'm glorifying God. No, you can glorify God in everything you do. It doesn't have to be a religious setting. It can be when you're sitting down and eating with somebody. It could be having a cup of coffee with somebody. It could be playing softball with somebody. It could be anything. Why? Because your life, all of who you are, belongs to God. And so your life is able to produce that what honors God. And, and how does that happen? How do we accomplish that? In verse 1, this is probably one of the worst chapter placements in Scripture, one of them, because it really goes with, verse 1 of chapter 11 goes with the rest of what he's been saying. It says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. How do we accomplish this? By following Example of Paul who followed the example of Christ. What did Christ do? He gave himself for us freely. He didn't have to. He wanted to. And because of that, it produced life in all of us. If we would recognize who we belong to and live accordingly, that our lives would honor God, that God would look at us and smile, we would enjoy the freedom, the blessing of God because of who we are in him. And so this morning, we want to recognize that it is the work of Jesus in our lives that has transformed us, that has changed us, and that is changing us still. And it is this work that we identify with constantly. We belong to him if we have named ourselves as Christians. And we want to remember that. This is not to put a guilt trip on anyone, but our lives are meant to glorify God and don't forget who you belong to. And don't forget all that he's done for you because you and I could not glorify God without his help. And because of what he's done, we have access to him. And not only access, we've been made his children. We've been adopted into his family. We have his name. And he looks at us and calls us his son, his daughter. And he loves us. And he wants to smile on our lives as our lives reflect who he is as we care about others just like he cared about us. I'm going to have Junior and Josh come up. We're going to partake of communion here. Don't worry, you won't get full before breakfast. It's just small. And we're going to go through... A few songs here, but here's how this works and here's how, here's what we want to see take place. We have on both sides here a, a bowl with some juice and some bread. As you feel led, this 
Because I know some people feel pressured. I, I, I can't do that. And you know what? If you can't do it because you understand this is something very powerful and you don't yet want to identify yourself with Christ, that's fine. But if you've named yourself as a Christian and are following after Christ, this is meant for you as a reminder again of what Jesus has done for you. And so everyone is free to come and partake of this, recognizing what it means. You come up on your own free will, take the bread, dip it once into the drink, and then you can eat it or take it back to your chair if you would like to. And as everyone goes through and we do that, then we'll close in prayer. As we're doing this, I, I don't know how to, to share this more with more conviction than to realize that the church has been doing this since Christ did it with his disciples in that upper room. That Jesus said, as often as you do take this cup and break this bread, you proclaim, you preach about me until I come back. And what we are doing here is declaring what Jesus has done for me. And just like he did with his disciples when he was here on earth, we are recognizing that we are part of this family. That we too are partaking of the same bread, drinking of the same cup, have been brought into the same family because of what Jesus has done. May the reality of what that is be as tangible to you and I as that bread and as this juice. Father, I do pray that you would bless this time, that you would enrich our hearts towards you. Father, that we'd be mindful of the freedom we have in you, that our lives are made to glorify you. May you bless this time, Father. I pray that you would use it to draw us to an understanding of how great your love is, how great your mercy is, how real you are. Lord, do a work within our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name. As you feel led, come up and take the bread and the cup. May this morning we recognize that we have been set free. We've been set free from the bondage of our own sin by what Jesus has done. We've been set free from the regulations and rules of religion. We have been set free so that we can honor God with our lives. And with this freedom now that we enjoy because of what Jesus has done, let us honor God. Let us live our lives in a way that will make him smile. Let us recognize his concern and care for others and live our lives in a way that shows interest and love for others as well. Lord, I pray that you would bless all who are here, Father, in this freedom that you've given us, Lord, may we honor you with it. In these lives that you've given us, may they point to you, Father, whether we eat, whether we drink, we glorify you, whether we laugh, whether we play, we honor you in all things. May you be glorified. Father, you've given us this life and we give it back to you. And we thank you for your faithfulness to us, your unfailing love. We ask that you'd bless the food that we're going to enjoy, the, the time together. Our, our communion continues with one another, Lord, as we talk and as we enjoy each other's company. Might you be glorified, edified in this time together. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.